This passage is from Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statues and rules that I command him at Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Zechariah was a Jew living during a time of eager <coughs> anticipation and expectation. For centuries, the Jews had been passed around like a football between global superpowers. They had lost their independence to the Babylonian Empire, who were overthrown by the Persian Empire, who were overthrown by the Greek Empire, who were overthrown by the Roman Empire. How long, Lord? How much longer will you subject us to foreign invaders? When will you forgive our sins and rescue us? One day, Zechariah was chosen by Lot to burn incense in the temple of the Lord. Zechariah knew how great of a privilege this was, but even he did not realize how special this time would be. As he basked in the presence of his God and breathed in the sweet cloud of perfume he had prepared for his Lord, he suddenly noticed the presence of another figure. He realized that this was an angel of the Lord immediately, and his fear was only quelled once the angel spoke. Zechariah, your prayers for deliverance have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the womb. And his birth will bring joy and gladness back to the people of Judea, because in the spirit and power of Elijah, 
He will prepare their hearts for the coming of the Lord. He did not believe at first, but by the time his son was born, Zechariah was ready to say, You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our our feet into the way of peace." Zechariah didn't come up with this poetry on the spot, but was instead quoting a prophet from centuries earlier, the prophet Malachi. Welcome to the table for the third Sunday of Advent. This is a 24-day celebration as we wait for Christmas Day, reminding us of the Jews who were waiting for the coming Messiah. And it helps us prepare for the second coming. Of our Lord. During the centuries of time when the Old Testament was being written, people knew that the world was not perfect. There were really good times when God was blessing them for their obedience and they had a great relationship with God, but there were also times when they did not meet the standards of God and there was a lot of pain and suffering. But those living at the same time of, as the prophet Malachi were even more aware of their need for salvation from captivity and pain. As I mentioned, the Jews spent most of the centuries leading up to Jesus' birth in captivity to different empires. It started with the Babylonian Empire, who came in and wiped out all of Israel, took the few survivors into captivity. Malachi's generation was freed by the Persian Empire to go home, but even then they were still longing for their independence and still struggling with the pain and suffering, ready for independence from the Jewish Savior, the Messiah. A couple years ago, Hannah and I were living in France, and we were working with the churches in our city. And what surprised us about that time was that in those churches, there were not many French people. Most of them were filled with Middle Easterners people who were converts from Islam. And if you aren't aware of the current politics in Europe, you may not know that many of the countries in Europe are being filled with refugees from Middle Eastern countries that are plagued by war. So what we learned from that is that people whose lives have been recently upended are much more responsive to the gospel and much more aware of their need for a savior than those whose lives are going peacefully. Near the end of our time in France, the Ukrainian refugee, the Ukrainian-Russia war began, and our city started to receive Ukrainian refugees as well as Middle Eastern. There was one time where Hannah and I were called into duty um, to help a Ukrainian woman who wanted to use the public transportation to get to a different part of the city where there was a thrift store giving out free items to Ukrainian refugees. We were able to help her get there, and then we watched as she filled bag after bag with free clothes. And our pupils enlarged 
as we wondered how we were going to get all of these bags back on the bus and back to our hotel room. And it was a struggle, but we made it. But that story just made me realize how much she needed and how much she needed a savior. Malachi's generation was living in a somewhat similar situation. They were recent refugees to Babylon who had returned to their homeland but were now trying to rebuild their society and their houses. There was a lot of pain and strife at that time too. In the face of this chaos, the prophet Malachi tried to introduce law and order as well as hope. So most of the book, if you've read it, you know, is about the prophet Malachi trying to urge them to continue and to return to the law of Moses and keep his commands because God's faithfulness to us means that we owe him our faithfulness. But today we're focusing on the other major theme of Malachi, the coming of the Messiah. So let's reread that first passage from chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, other words, the priests, and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So when you read this passage in the context of what comes before, we see that God is responding to the claim that he is unjust and that he rewards evil people rather than good people. So his response says that he will send a messenger to prepare the way of the Lord, and the Lord will punish that evil and restore justice. In the history of Jewish interpretation, there's a little confusion about who the Lord is in verse 1, specifically whether it's the Messiah or if it's God himself. But in light of the gospel, we know that it's a both and, that he is the Savior and God. And he's also the messenger of the new covenant who will return to his temple. But this isn't like most messianic prophecies because it's mostly negative. Yes, the Messiah will bring the new covenant, but he's also going to be a refining fire. Yes, he will draw near to us. For judgment. And the list of sins in verse 5 starts out fairly unrelatable, since I would guess most of us are not guilty of sorcery, most of us probably aren't guilty of adultery, but who among us hasn't lied before? And who among us has put our selfish wants before the needs of powerless people? 
we have not always feared God. And sure, we want to be pure, but I'm not sure we want to be purified by fire. In, uh, in light of this fire, the fuller's soap metaphor might seem a little tame, but actually this was a pretty aggressive metaphor as well. Back in the day, it was part of the clothes-making process, and it would start with scrubbing fabric fervently with this fuller's soap to get this, the impurities and the dirt out of the fabric, and then you would pound the fabric with your fists or your feet to thicken it. In the Roman Empire, it was the job of a slave because of how manual and grueling the work could be. So while we in the church like to picture this silent night, holy night of Jesus' birth, the Israelites were waiting for the Messiah to set them on fire and pound them into a pulp. This is a part of Christmas that we don't reflect on as much, but it's still there. The waiting for Jesus coming means turning from our sins and letting ourselves be purified by the Holy Spirit. Only then will our offerings of worship and service be pleasing to him. But the coming of the Messiah isn't going to be all fire and fulling, and that's where chapter 4 comes in. Let's read that. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Okay, so there's a little bit more fire, but then the, then the fun comes. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out like leaping calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So for those who heed God's warning and begin to fear him, the story is going to be different. We can rid ourselves of our impurities so that we will not be burned by the sun but instead find healing in its rays. When verse 3 says that we will trample on the wicked, I don't think this is an idea of us judging them ourselves. Um, they're already ashes. So I think the idea is more that we will be able to tread without the burden of evil in this world. And verse 2 is actually one of the reasons that we named our son Malachi. I was wondering if he would look at me when I said that. <laughs> We love the picture of the calves jumping, running, leaping in the fields, frolicking. It's a beautiful image that captures the playfulness of the church that we often miss. The Messiah is going to bring joy and fun when he comes. There's a little disconnect for most people when they hear this metaphor. Because when we think of cows, we think of these slow idle creatures who stand around in the same spot all day chewing cud. But cow farmers know how much joy and excitement a cow can actually express. 
There's a video that went viral about 10 years ago, and it went semi-viral. It was 4 million views. I don't know how you calculate that, but the video shows cows being released into pasture for the first time since a long winter, and as they are let out of their stall, you can see them bounding, leaping, frolicking in the field, enjoying the grass and the sun once again. It's a very beautiful video, and the coolest part is that it was posted on my birthday. (laughs) But if cows, if you just cannot imagine that, then maybe think of other animals that we often see having fun, playing, enjoying life. You could think of otters or penguins, which are often the highlight of a zoo trip because you see them splashing with their friends, really just having a great time. You could think of dogs in a dog park who could spend hours upon hours chasing each other, going for the balls, doing whatever they do, having so much fun. Or you could think of children who cannot resist the joy of rolling down a fun grassy hill. If we want to be part of this beautiful metaphor, there's two things we need to do. Remember the law and repent. Hopefully, if there's one thing that you took out of our long study of the book of Hebrews, it's that the Old Testament still matters. Yes, Jesus is greater than Moses, and his sacrifice and his priestly ministry has taken away the need for the Old Testament ministries as much. But the Old Testament ethics are still in place for us. Think about the Ten Commandments, the heart and summary of the law. New Testament believers don't have a license to go out and start coveting and murdering and committing idolatry and all the rest. We are still bound by the law because it's still a value of the New Covenant to be holy people. It's just that our role model is now primarily Jesus rather than Moses. So being good law-abiding believers starts with turning from our lawlessness, and that's where the prophet Elijah comes in. If you don't remember, Elijah was a prophet during the monarchy of Israel, and he spent most of his days urging the Israelites to turn from their wickedness and their idolatry. And when Malachi says that he will return, that God will send him before the great and awesome day of the Lord, it's not literal, because from then on out, the Jews expected a prophet like Elijah to come and prepare the way of the Lord. Hey, bud. With this context, we can understand what Zechariah and the angel were talking about in Luke 1. When the angel said that Zechariah's son would go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, he was quoting Malachi, and it meant that Zechariah's son would be that prophet like Elijah. And when Zechariah said that his son would give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, 
he was talking about the son of righteousness that Malachi had foretold would have healing in its wings for the people who feared God. Zechariah was privileged to be the father of the prophet like Elijah, who would prepare the people's hearts for the coming of his Messiah. Zechariah had a pretty cool nephew too, but we'll talk about that more next week. So what can we learn about Advent and Malachi? Well, I think it teaches us how to wait. When we think of waiting, we often associate it more with long lines at Disney World or at the grocery store. But according to the Bible, waiting for the Savior is a much more active process. It's a process of betterment. When we are fighting our tendencies towards sin and trying to pick up these tendencies toward righteousness. When you have dinner guests coming later in the night, it's not idle time waiting for them. You spend all day scrubbing and sanitizing and chopping and mopping and mixing and grilling, setting the table, getting your hair ready, getting your clothes on, thinking of good jokes that you'll tell later in the night. But once that doorbell rings, your frantic work ends and you have to pretend like you've been in an hour-long meditation. (laughs) But now imagine that your dinner guest is the sovereign king of the universe. That's a bit more pressure. You might spend some extra time making sure that you get that cowlick down or you get the rice a little bit more translucent. But... When we take away this metaphor, we realize that it's a lot more daunting to get our hearts ready for God than our houses. How are we going to prepare ourselves for the coming of our king? Well, luckily, he doesn't leave us alone in that matter. We are blessed to be filled with the Holy Spirit who is purifying us because he knows that if we tried to do it on our own, we would fail frequently and most of the time. Hey, bud. God does not leave us to work on our holiness alone. So during this Advent season, and as we await the end of time when our Savior will return for us, let's wait. And that means let's ready ourselves, remembering the law and repenting of our sins relying on the work of the Holy Spirit and on God, relying on the people in our lives whom God has sent to prepare the way for the Messiah in our hearts. And let's fear the Lord so that we can run and leap like happy holy cows in the healing rays of the Son of Righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will give us the hope, the strength, the courage to wait. Fill us with peace despite our world. God, I pray that you will help us to remember the hearts of the refugees in this world, the people who are most acutely aware of their need for the Savior. I pray that you will fill us with empathy so that we can have that same heart within us, knowing how badly we need you. God, 
I pray that you will help us to not be idle, but to work on our hearts, to resist our sin and our wickedness. And I thank you that that task is so much less daunting because of the Holy Spirit whom you have filled us with. God, I pray that you will help us to recognize your sovereignty, to fear you, and to also be excited for when you return again. In your name, amen.